0: Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've focused on the prophetic and the priestly side of what it means to profess Christ and the implications that are that way for us and then be followers in a prophetic and a priestly way in the last couple of weeks. And now we're going to be taking a moment to look at the royal side of Christ. That's our focus this morning. And as we reflect on Christ as the eternal King, That'll be the first thing we'll look at, and then the royal call of Christians. And boys and girls, I don't know how many times I'm going to say king today. I already said it twice. But if you want to keep track of that and see how many times I do that, and if you want to find out, uh, if you want to take a moment to ask, come to me and tell me how many times I said it, that'd be all right with me. Uh, We might find this, uh, as we're looking at Christ as the eternal king, uh, we might find the idea of kingship or Royalty uh, as as a bygone era, uh, though we're not completely purged of that mentality, and and we certainly aren't in a world that doesn't still have kingdoms and kings and queens and the like, and and there's even a fascination uh, with royalty. People can't help but you know put their eyes, as they say, across the pond and. And they look at what goes on in the United Kingdom and what happens in the House of Tudor. And uh, they like being able to keep track of Queen Elizabeth and her family. And even our boys and girls, uh, oh, I shouldn't say that. I'll put it, put it back uh, back up a little bit. Uh, girls, <laughs> the girls uh, of our congregation, probably a lot of them, or if you think about that when you were younger, uh, that uh, that being a princess was kind of a fascination that way, getting dressed up, and, and it was just something special about thinking and, and playing in, in those kind of ways. But today, governments are diverse across the world and, and in their makeup, and you don't have that many kings and queens as you once did. And maybe that speaks to us then, not so much that speaking about Jesus Christ as king is some kind of archaic concept, as it speaks to us more about the fact that there's a temporary nature to human kingdoms, which is not true about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't speak about kingdoms as much anymore because that speaks to us about how temporal kingdoms can be, humanly speaking. But yeah, such kingdoms still exist, along with other kinds of kingdoms. But in any case, mere human governments are temporary. And that always should remind us about the the measure of trust that we place in human government, right? We hear the the psalmist say, put no confidence in princes. And it speaks to us about the measure of allegiance to which we're called to such government. Now, of course, we're to render to Caesar what Caesar's. We, We hear that. We hear Jesus himself telling us that. And yet, it's always in subservience to the service and the allegiance and the commitment that we are called to render to God and His Christ and His kingdom. And we're always to be remembering that because Christ is always reigning. In our passage from 2 Timothy today, the, the apostle is about to leave the earthly scene in death. And we understand Second Timothy to be, in many regards, this, this torch-transferring letter, both to Timothy, but as Paul has this vision for the future, as he's been inspired by the Spirit, he's not only transferring the torch to his spiritual son, whom he calls his child here, but also to upcoming generations, as Timothy is called uh, to pass along the teachings of Christ, upcoming generation, uh, that what he's heard from the apostle is to be entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And why is that? It's so that the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ may continue to be broadcast to the world, to the future, which is appropriate for an everlasting kingdom. That rules over all, and that rules forever. But Timothy, and we know that the Apostle spoke about Timothy and recognizing his timidity uh, at times. Timothy may have had some misgivings himself about this torch-bearing calling that he had. Because his spiritual father's in prison. And how is he in prison? He is in prison by the power of human government. And it wouldn't be surprising to hear Timothy thinking to himself, well, why do I carry on in hardship then? I've been told to do this. Share in suffering. Paul's suffering. He says that later. I'm suffering. And I want you to share in that. but it makes you ask the question, and, and Timothy's a church leader, and, and church leaders ask that. Why, why carry on in hardship? When your gospel message is oftentimes, and it's not always that way, to be sure, but, but hardship comes when the gospel message is opposed or it's underappreciated, or it's just completely ignored. That's not easy. Nobody likes to be ignored. Nobody wants to be thought that that their word doesn't mean a whole lot. And, And especially when it's dealing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't want to be... You don't you don't enjoy opposition. There's no fun in that. And so why be encouraged to be faithful and, and committed to Christ's gospel? And it doesn't have to be a church leader who thinks like that. It, that can be so for anybody who's a follower of Christ. Why do you even bother? And yet the apostle says, be strengthened by the realities and the promises of the gospel, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Be encouraged to keep going. Be encouraged to take another step. Be encouraged to endure for this Christ, for this gospel, for this cause. Put up with the hardship. Endure it including the calling to continue to teach this gospel beyond your generation to others who can carry on this work along with you and to those who can do so when you're gone. It's worth worth passing on. You know, when you're a a parent or you're, you're in a position of influence that way, you always need to ask that question, right? I mean, what, what is it that you value that you want to pass along to your children? Well, this is something, this gospel is being told to us from the Word of God that it is worth passing on and it is worth holding on. And the Apostle is telling this spiritual child of his, uh, You can endure and will be faithful. When you remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead of the seed of David. In other words, remember Christ, like our catechism says, as the eternal king. He's raised from the dead. He's from the seed of David. In other words, he's royal according to the promise that was given to David that you will have somebody sitting on your throne forever. He's the eternal king. He's always living. He's always reigning. Timothy, you know, when when he's tempted to just forget about Christ that way, might be thinking that opposition to the cause of Christ by by human kingdoms was greater than Christ. I mean, Paul's imprisoned after all. Not everybody always appreciated what he said, obviously. But those kingdoms come and go. And, Timothy might think that the, the word of the temporal king whom he could see was the final and sovereign word and that the word of God and his Christ who you couldn't see would be bound by that word. But the apostle says that the word of human kingdoms is not the final word and the passage tells us that the word of God is not bound. And so that word goes out, and it reaches out, and it touches on a, and and that's that mysterious everlasting uh, facet here, it touches the elect of God unto faith by God's Spirit. And Paul is, in essence, trying to give context to what's going on, putting the caption to the picture again with, with Timothy, because he can easily draw the wrong conclusion from what he's seeing. And he says, look, just because there may be severe opposition to the kingdom of Christ by kingdoms of men, both then and now, that does not bind the sovereign word of Christ from accomplishing what it sets out to do. And it will accomplish what it sets out to do. It is, after all, sent out from the Christ who governs all things and who governs his church And that is especially to be a strength to to Timothy, to pastors, to church leaders, to church members, that Christ governs everything and governs his church. One main reason is that he does indeed govern by the rule of his power all things. Don't talk about luck. Don't talk about chance. Nothing's happening by chance. Nothing's outside of the domain of Christ who has all authority. And Paul says, remember that. Remember the seed of David that Christ is. Remember Jesus Christ, the ever-living and reigning monarch, the king of the world. King of the world. Another main reason to remember Christ as King Timothy is for the decisions that you're going to make in the future and what you're going to, what's going to move you uh, ahead. Because Christ isn't only the king of the world, he's the king of the church. And he governs his church and its members by his word and spirit. He governs and in so governing, he's not putting shackles on people. He's bringing peace and order to them. Remember that Christ, Timothy. Be strengthened by the promises of that gospel word. Follow that gospel word. Endure by way of that gospel word. Because you're tempted to give up and go your own way. But don't do it. And so Paul is is saying here, I, I want you to be consoled that Christ is always, always governing the entirety of the world, but also that he is always governing you and the church by his word and spirit. He's consoling you and he's counseling you. Because he's always king of the world and he's always king of the church. And so you want to be consoled by the broader reign in the world by Christ. And then you want to also be counseled by his narrower reign in the church. But he governs it all. And the Catechism reflects those biblical thoughts of Christ as king. And he does that so that, so that our, we have a firm path and then we can know the path. He firms our path and, and he directs our path. As our eternal king, he governs us by his word and spirit as head of the church, but then he also defends and protects us in the freedom that he won for us as he is king of the world. King of the church, king of the world. And he protects our paths as sovereign over all then, but then he also directs our paths by the power of his spirit and the proclamation of his word. And and that's, that's why we want a steady diet of that word, don't we? And and we live in a world, and and just think about that a little bit, how how easily that is. I mean, we're just talking about this this one who is so supreme that he's over everything and every aspect of life, and and that your call to understand is the king of the church, king of your life, in all facets of your life, and then you live in a world that likes to do, like, you know, in the summer, you know, boys and girls can appreciate this, right? you you got a beach ball, and you're in the pool, and you take that beach ball, and you try to keep it underwater, and somebody says, you know, where'd the beach ball go? And you sit there and say, I don't know. where where Where, did, where is it? And finally, you put up your hands, go, well, I don't know, and boom, there goes the ball up in the air. You, you know, that's how people are when it comes to the kingdom of Christ they, 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 they live and they pretend like Christ isn't over everything and you don't even want to mention his name I mean you might talk about God or you might talk about religion or you might talk about faith or whatever but but people don't want to hear even Christ's name and to think that this Christ is over everything every aspect of life and people try to suppress Christ as king like a like a child tries to suppress a beach ball in the pool well you can't do that too long but it's it's easy to do when you're when you don't see Christ or you don't know Christ or you're just simply opposed to Christ And, and you see around you how, how the culture tries to, to keep the eternal king out of everything. He doesn't belong there. He shouldn't be mentioned there. He has no business there. He has business there. He's king of everything. Who are we to say, keep out? But as followers of Christ, we're tempted to forget him too, because that's what's going on, right? i us just try to leave him out of the mind. And we're tempted to forget him too because we think he's forgotten us, especially when we're hurting and when we're lonely and when things don't go the way that they, that they ought to go or, or, or the way that we would have had them go. and then you're immersed in a world that acts as if Christ doesn't even exist, let alone is totally in charge of every part of life. And then and you and people wonder then why, you know, you know why it is that when you look at the front of this communion table right here that it says this do in remembrance of me. Because we're We're so easily tempted to do what the world does and forget about Christ. When we do forget, we stop worshiping, right? Psalm 103. We hear that psalm all the time. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all His benefits. Because when you forget, you don't worship. When we forget Christ is king, our worship suffers, our behavior suffers, we serve someone else. We'll serve, but we'll serve somebody else. We forget who's worthy of praise. We forget who brought peace to our lives. We forget that his wondrous works are innumerable. We forget what will bring peace and order to our lives. Peace and praise come when we don't forget the eternal king, that we do as the apostle says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead of the seed of David. He needs to be remembered and he needs to be imitated. He deserves it. The apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he wants this church leader, this shepherd, like unto the chief shepherd of the church that Jesus Christ is, to fight the good fight of faith. passage says he wants him to be focused as a soldier, not muddled in civilian affairs. He's committed. He's true to the world, to the rules, like an athlete. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't cut corners. He's not just a farmer, but a farmer who works hard, who's worthy then of the crops, the first of the crops. He wants Timothy to be committed, to be all in. To live sacrificially like Christ and for Christ and to endure the hardships of ministry. That's a royal act. Because back in the day, of course, kings fought. And if he does that, says Paul, there's a promise for him on which he can depend. If he dies with Christ, he will also live with Christ. If he endures... He'll also reign with Christ. And so Timothy will, like Christ, remember, remember Christ, living, reigning. That's what Timothy will do. He'll live and he'll reign. Just like Christ. Living and reigning, the living and reigning of Christ that is not only our hope and our light for today but will reflect that life and that reign one day when the fight of faith is over. And so the fight of faith, which is that commitment to Christ in time, is a reflection of Christ the King who fought for his people to the point of the cross. And, And the fruit of the fight of faith in eternity, the eternal reign with Christ, is a reflection of Christ the eternal King. So what are we fighting as viceroys of Christ then? Yeah, we're fighting hardship. We're fighting the temptations to deny him. We're fighting the ways in which Christians are unjustly portrayed. We're fighting our own sinful selves. We're fighting our selfishness. We're fighting against worldly perspectives and the devil and all his house, only not with the weapons of war, but with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, of course, we're tempted to fight the wrong thing. A lot of people want to fight, but often for the wrong things. And we we can find ourselves fighting those whom we should be embracing who share our Christian faith. We can find people fighting for all they can get out of life and be tempted to think, oh, that should be our fight. We can find ourselves just fighting for what we want in selfishness and, And it affects our families and our spouses that we're called to love, not to fight again. But we want our way. I don't want to do what you say, Mom. I don't want to do what you say, Dad. I don't care what you say, spouse. I want it my way. You know, maybe we have to fight to keep our mouths shut sometimes. Maybe we we speak more than we, we listen or we think that we need others to think we're important or to seek attention. Sometimes you boys and girls that are in school or at home, you wh- why do you sometimes misbehave, especially if you're around a crowd? Because you want attention. We fight our lust. A pride. The idea that what matters the most is what I like, what I want, what I get. And when we're acting like that, we're acting like we're kings. And we're forgetting who is. And we're taking his place instead of reflecting him and professing him. It's the wrong fight. And who knows where that battle will take you. Because it might look like you're not winning. Look at Paul. He did the right thing. He's in prison. You might do with less. You might have less attention. People might not be paying attention to you. You might have to admit that you're wrong. Perish the thought. Wrong to others, wrong to God. We might even have to give up all that we have. Killed for Christ, that's what Paul was facing. That's what he's saying. If I die for him, I'll live for him. He's about to be poured out like a drink offering. Maybe it's just better to just deny him and to be faithless and and forget the eternal king and give up the fight because Why do I want to put up with that? Our passage warns us, though, that if we deny Him, He'll reflect us. He'll reflect us. If we deny Him, He'll deny us. He'll say in the day of judgment, I never knew you. And if we're faithless, He will not reflect that. He'll remain faithful. He won't save if we won't profess. He'll be faithful to himself. He'll not allow those who forget him to be remembered in eternity. They will be eternally forsaken and forgotten. And he has to be that way to be faithful to himself as the righteous and eternal king who deserves to be professed. He's gracious to those who believe in him, but he's just to those who don't. And and there's just nothing that's worth that denial. Not opposition, not putting up with opposition, not putting up with uh, apathy, not putting up with uh, people thinking that whatever you have to say isn't worth hearing. The worth is found in professing this king, governed by this king and enduring in the profession of Christ governed by his word and spirit, consoled in the profession that Christ is king of the world and king of the church and king of your life. And be consoled by the power of his rule and be consoled by the power of his grace and direction, his king, his kingdom trumps all others. Profess Christ the eternal king as one of his followers and be royally committed to him. He lives and reigns forever. And what good news that is for the believer in Christ, even the, the believer himself. And one day too you'll you'll live and reign forever. And that's good news too. Amen. Let's pray.